0: Our text for today, as we remember the transfiguration of Christ shining the very glory and majesty of God himself upon that mountaintop, as we come to a conclusion of our series, Teach Us to Pray on the Lord's Prayer, our text for this morning, as we heard just a few moments ago from the book of Colossians in the New Testament, the first chapter. It was actually February the 21st of 1974 when a group of Lutheran Christians who had been worshiping together now for several months gathered together the evening of the 21st To come to agreement that they wanted to form a congregation to be a part of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And it was in that gathering, that meeting, that evening, where they decided upon a name. And led by the Holy Spirit, they came upon the name Our Father, Lutheran Church. That's why we've been doing this series on the Our Father, on the Lord's Prayer, through this season of Epiphany. Here we are 50 years later, and I thought what I would do at the very top of this sermon before we get to the text would share with you just a little bit of the state of the church, how things are going here at Our Father 50 years later to this morning and this day where we find ourselves. Hopefully, I think you know our mission here is helping ordinary people know and share extraordinary life in Christ. Our strategy, our three different ministry areas are we gather and worship. We grow in faith and we live God's mission. Let's talk about gathering and worship, the wonderful traditional and contemporary worship we have here. So blessed to have this man, Kendall, as a part of our family here at our 1045 service. talk a little bit about Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, our Christmas worship. The five years before the COVID-19 pandemic, the five years before COVID hit, our average worship for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, was right at almost exactly 1,900 individuals, 1,900. This past Christmas, There was 1,979 of us who gathered together to celebrate the birth of Christ. So past the COVID decline and numbers are trending in the right direction. And on top of that, we had 604, what we call unique views, online worship. That could be a single person or a couple or a whole family But what we can say at the very least, at the very least, we had 2,583 individuals celebrating the birth of Christ with us here at our Father. That is by far the largest, the greatest Christmas celebration we have had in our 50 years together. All glory be to Christ as we gather in worship. We grow in faith. And the launching of our new Our Father Faith courses this past fall, we have spent so much time and energy and thought and study into these courses studying biblical studies and theology and life application. In this last round, our fellowship hall has been overflowing. There has been over 200 of you involved in this course just this term alone our vibrant and growing student ministry here at Our Father, led by Courtney, the high school and middle school minister. Our high school students even now are preparing for the very first international mission trip this summer to the country of Honduras to work alongside of our Lutheran brothers and sisters in that country. Our kids' ministry here at Our Father, we've had the largest attendance in our Sunday school again ever in the history of our 50 years together. Our preschool continues to be vibrant, growing, reaching out to the people right in this neighborhood with the love of Christ for these littlest of our brothers and sisters gather and worship we grow in faith we live God's mission hundreds and hundreds of you have received training in how to be a family on mission wherever you live to love your actual neighbor our focus last spring that wherever God has placed you in your neighborhood that is your mission field your school your workplaces our 13 missional communities represented by the little dots with the uh, cross on the map This past fall, just this past fall, our 13 missional communities were engaged in over 20 outreach projects, going to nursing homes, feeding those who are hungry, clothing the homeless, making sure children had toys at Christmas, so many different ways we are serving right here in our community and around the world. 19 different mission partners we have 10 of them just in our area here in denver and colorado another three across the united states the work that we do in mexico the work that we do in honduras that's where pastor micah is this very mo- morning this very day the work we do in the dominican republic the work we do in india the work we do in the middle east In a country in a place that's so dangerous we can't even see the name of the person who serves there or the location and this past fall we sent a delegation of members a group of our members to the country of ethiopia to see about at least the possibility we're still in the process of determining that of coming alongside a lutheran congregation and transforming an entire town and a village with the gospel of jesus christ there has been Thousands and thousands of lives impacted by our little congregation called Our Father Lutheran Church. We are as healthy and as strong and as vibrant as we have ever been in the last. 50 years of our congregation, financially strong and healthy. When I came here 11 years ago, we had over $4 million in debt. The mortgage, because of your generosity, Christ working through all of you, through our Arise campaign, we now have less than $100,000 left to that debt service. We will be completely debt-free very soon. All glory to Christ. We are as healthy and strong we as we've ever been in the last 50 years. But you know that what that means. That certainly doesn't mean you pat ourselves on the back, aren't we? What? Absolutely not. We need to be asking, Jesus, what would you have us to do? Why are you blessing us? And we're asking that question. And it also means this. That now, more than ever, we need to fervently be praying together the prayer our Lord has taught us. And we need to be praying together, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Greek here is literally from the evil one. In other words, it's not simply some sort of impersonal force of evil out there. Like the dark side of the force. It is an evil one. This is supernatural creatures, beings, Satan, who wants to rob us of our faith and would love for this congregation to collapse and implode and no longer be here. This outpost of the kingdom called our Father. This is spiritual warfare. All the more, if the Lord is blessing us, we need to be on guard. The Apostle Peter says that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. You might remember these words from Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul writes, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There are spiritual forces of evil that would love, again, to take away our faith if they could and to destroy the mission of our family, our Father Lutheran Church. It's not just flesh and blood. Spiritual forces of evil. I think we all know that we are in the West, certainly, but around the world, we are living in unstable times, unstable economically, politically, culturally. At least in the West, as we are turning away from a biblical worldview, a biblical way of seeing the world, to a more secular, non-religious, atheistic view of the world and of reality, And that, again, the church in the West, again, not so much our brothers and sisters in Africa where the gospel is growing and the church is spreading, all glory be to Christ, but in the West, our context, the church is in a decline, the institutional church is in decline. I don't think there's anything sadder for me to see than a church whose remote controls do not work, a church that has a for sale sign that has to close its doors but there are more churches that are closing than churches that are opening in North America denomination that we're a part of the lutheran church missouri Synod. this is a statistic that i heard this is five or six or seven years ago now they said that half of the congregations within our denomination have 20 or fewer easters left to celebrate half of our congregations have less than 20 years before they close their doors half So what do we do? I mean, one option, we could go as Christians and we can circle the wagons, we can build the walls up around the church, we can just turn inward, inward, and focus on ourselves, and they're the enemies, and we're the good guys, and to heck with them, and have nothing to do. That's an option. It's not really an option. The other extreme is to do what there are many churches... Do who slowly but surely chip away and chip away and chip away and chip away and massage and change God's truth, God's holy and inspired word, because the pressure of this. Secular, non-religious, atheistic culture is so great, especially our students that can experience this almost every day as such a different view of reality is all around us and it can cause us maybe to change and adapt the Word of God. That's what was happening in Paul's day. Paul is in prison when he's writing the Christians in Colossae, this book of Colossians, this letter. He's in prison for proclaiming Christ and the gospel. And what was happening here in Colossae was that the elite, cultural elite of the day, this is of course the Roman Empire, this is a Greco-Roman worldview, a Greek philosophical worldview. The pressure was great upon the Christians in this City of Colossae. Because the Greek philosophical worldview was this, that anything physical was inherently bad, anything spiritual was inherently good, physical bad, spiritual good. To say that God became physical was ridiculous. To say that God became a human being was insane. To say that God became a physical human being who died on a cross could not be. And so the pressure to change the gospel, to say, well, well, Jesus only appeared as a man. God only appeared as a man. He only appeared to have suffered and died. He really didn't do that. We know he couldn't have done that. And we're not saved by his death and resurrection. We're actually saved by the secret knowledge of Christ that he gives to us, and then it will liberate your soul. This was a very different understanding. This was the pressure to conform and change to the way of the world and the culture at the time. And Paul, in this letter, is showing them and he's showing to us today 2,000 years later three gifts, three things we have when we are praying, lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. Three resources God gives to us. We'll talk about quickly in succession here this morning. First of all, the foundation of the word that we can build our life upon. We have the inevitability, the unstoppability of the kingdom, and the power of prayer. The foundation of the word to build our life upon, the inevitability of the kingdom that will come, and the power of prayer. Again, let's talk about these. The foundation of the word. Paul here in... The letter to the Colossians is praying. And in part of this prayer, he's praying to them here in verse 9, saying that he's asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, increasing in the knowledge of God. That You would grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding and in the knowledge of God. That comes from the word of God verse 23 of chapter 1 again praying that they would continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard and all the way back in verse 5 and 6 of Colossians 1 he speaks about the word of the truth the gospel the word of the truth that God has spoken he has not been silent he's given to us his word to his truth And then Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writes this, actually a command. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Let the word of God dwell within you richly. That the word of God would change you and conform you to his will, to his word. That we don't change the word of God, we let the word of God change us. Again, we just heard the story of Jesus on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, where he's standing there with Peter, James, and John, and the divinity, the majesty, the glory of God Himself is emanating and bursting through His flesh. And there is a cloud, a glory cloud descends upon the mountain, and we hear the voice of God the Father, and He says, What? This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Literally, the Greek is hear him. Listen to him and not to the other voices, opinions, concerns, presuppositions, assumptions, feelings. We listen to God, we listen to Christ in his unchanging holy and inspired word which is our foundation which we build our life upon and this is not done arrogantly let me say that this should not be done arrogantly Bible thumping and pointing your finger and we're good and you're bad and we're awesome and you're not and ramming it down people's throats and holier than thou no it is do you see it it should be so humble. Thank you God for your word. Thank you God for your truth. This rock to build my life upon. Who am I to change your word? Who am I to add anything to your word or take anything away from your word? Who am I to say this verse still applies, but this verse doesn't apply anymore? Who am I? Who are we as mere human beings? So we say humbly, we we stay with God's word and his truth. Knowing that this secular age and culture, with its atheistic assumptions and presuppositions, cannot even provide answers to the most basic questions of life. Questions of where we came from, where we're going, why we're here, our identity... Ultimately, the secular answer is you come from nothing, you are going to nothing, and ultimately you are nothing but a collection of atoms and molecules and chemical reactions. It's called a materialistic view of reality. There is no supernatural. There is no metaphysical. There is just the natural world, and that is it. You are come from nothing you're going to nothing ultimately you are nothing but atoms and molecules but out of that we're told and this is supposed to be a good thing you create your own reality you create yourself you be your own hero. It is on you, it is on your shoulders to create all of your meaning, all of your purpose, all of your identity, all of your worth out of the nothingness that is within you. Is it any wonder we are so stressed and anxiety is through the roof? If that's what we're teaching. But we humbly look to God's Word, the foundation of His Word, to say, where else can we turn? You have the words of eternal life. And there is a more deeper and more beautiful identity that God shows us, made in His image, set apart, holy and sacred, that you are, we are the beloved sons and daughters of the great King Himself. And what is a greater testament to the value of human life than the gospel, the value of human life that God himself would suffer and die for you. How valuable, how much you matter to him. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil as we stand on the foundation of the word. And then secondly the inevitability of the kingdom. Let me explain what I mean by that here. Paul here again in Colossians chapter 1, he says in verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then verse 13, look at what he says. He says, he... Has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He has done it. He has delivered us. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom of God is at hand, but it isn't here in its fullness. It is so certain, Christian, that this is coming, the kingdom of God. He writes as though it has already happened, the inevitability. The unstoppability. Then he says this in verse 15 and 16. It says, He, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God. We see that in his transfiguration. The firstborn of all creation, verse 16. "...for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, that is Christ, and for him." Now, what are these thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities? What does that mean? These are the invisible creatures that Christ has created, the angels, for example... Some of which became fallen angels or demons, Satan himself. This is very important for us to remember that Satan is a creature. Satan was created. Was it created as Satan, became Satan, but was created, is finite and limited. In other words, sometimes I think we think of Christianity, God and the devil, like a yin yang symbol. And God, and these are equal but opposite forces and powers. God is good, and Satan is bad. God is light, and Satan is dark. And they're equal but opposite powers. Absolutely not. It is Christ who is sovereign, all-powerful on the throne, and Satan and all of his little fallen angels are just specks of dust in comparison to the power and majesty of Christ. And Christ is using it all. Bring his kingdom. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is why Paul can say in Romans chapter 8, these well-known words, what then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? A wonderful rhetorical question. Who can be against us? No one can and no thing. His kingdom will come. Finally, the power of prayer. Again, Paul, I said, is praying. We see this in verse 3 of Colossians 1. We we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Verse 9, and so from the day we heard of your faith, we have not ceased to pray with you, praying without ceasing. By chapter 4, again, Paul issues another command where he says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Again, we're praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We are steadfast in prayer. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, pray without what? without ceasing remember the disciples they came up to Jesus and said teach us how to pray They saw something in the prayer life of Christ. They didn't come up to him necessarily and say, teach us how to run an evangelism program, or teach us how to do a great vacation Bible school, or teach us how to preach a sermon or teach a class. But they came up to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray. The Son of God himself on his knees in prayer to the Father. They saw how transformative it was for his life. So they asked him, please teach us how to pray. The great gift and the power of prayer. But some of you say, pastor, I thought you just said the kingdom was in... Inevitable, unstoppable, it's gonna happen. Satan just a little speck of dust in comparison to who Jesus is. What about all that? I mean, Jesus knows all my needs. He knows what I want. He's doing it all. Why should I pray? If Jesus knows our needs, if he's in control of it all, why pray? Number one, because he commands us to. Pray without ceasing. Number two, because it's relationship forming. It's part of the intimacy when my daughter Amelia was just a little little girl, two or three years old, all the parents know this, and your child falls down and hurts their little knee, and they, Amelia would come up to me and she would be upset, and I knew what was wrong with her. I could see the skin knee, I saw it happen. And she comes up to me and she's crying, and what would I say? What's wrong, honey? I mean, I knew what was wrong. I ask her why, because then she talks to me, and she opens up her heart. I hurt my knee, and and that little, you can't breathe. And then what, well, let's take care of it. Let me kiss your boo-boo, and let's get a Band-Aid. And it's part of the relationship. God says, pray to me. Yeah, I know what you need. I know what's wrong. I know everything, but I want you to open up and talk to me and pray. So he commands it. It forms us in our intimacy. Finally, we pray, because your prayers, brothers and sisters, have power this is a paradox this is a mystery don't ask me for explanations after the churches are I won't give you a single answer but James chapter 5 verse 16 says this the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective you say but pastor I'm not righteous you are declared righteous in the eyes of God through your faith by God's grace you are righteous in the eyes of God The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. This is called the mystery of concurrence. It works alongside of Christ's sovereign plan and the inevitability of his kingdom. I don't know how or why, but Jesus uses your prayers, brothers and sisters, to accomplish his will. We pray without ceasing. Your prayers are powerful, and they have an effect. They're effective. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. And finally, notice Jesus says, When you pray, say, Our Father. That's the name of our congregation. Our Father. Didn't say, Pray, My Father your father we pray our father deliver us from the evil one give us our daily bread bread these are plural pronouns intentionally why because we weren't meant to do this alone we're family we're brothers and sisters We love and we sacrifice for one another. Pastor Abel, what is our Father Lutheran Church going to be like in 100 years? I have no clue. Pastor Abel, we still going to be around strong and vibrant in 50 years? I don't know. What about 10 years, Pastor Abel? Well, I hope to still be here, but I don't know. But Christ knows. It's his Church, not my church, not our church. We're his bride. And we stand upon the foundation of the unchanging word and know who we really are. The inevitability, the unstoppability of his kingdom. We're not just an organization called our father, we're an outpost of the unstoppable kingdom of God. And we pray without ceasing together. We pray together. We struggle together, we laugh together, we weep together. Look, you don't belong to yourself. I belong to you, you belong to me. We belong together as brothers and sisters and a family as we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.